our show this week is Ask Anything, so we're very broad today. So good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Joni. And how are you? I'm fine. It's a nice summer day out there. It's, it's beautiful. Try it. Yep, we're enjoying the summertime. And uh, as we were talking before we got started, the clinic is, is rather busy. Yeah, I, I would say my, my practice has been busy over the last, you know, one to two months. We kind of shut down business as usual, and we're mostly seeing only urgent needs, um, with some exceptions there for most of April and May. And now all those patients that we kind of missed for their diabetes checkups, their heart checkups, their hypertension checkups, they all need to be seen. So we're, we're, we're kind of packing them in, but it's, it's good to be seeing patients in. We feel like we have a really good system down and, um, and trying and keeping the clinic very safe. We've, we've all felt really good about that. So yeah. Speak to that, uh, prevention care. What, what, Let's just talk to the audience about yeah. the importance of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what you're asking, or it's kind of a broad thing. So people might think of it as their annual physical. In my line of work, you know, I don't, most of the patients that I see have some chronic medical problems. And so it's mostly management of those things. But for the general public, that includes, you know, making sure you're up to date on immunizations and um, screenings. I think one of the big, the big, the one of the reasons that I think every adult should have an annual physical, even if you're healthy, is if for no other reason but to get your blood pressure checked once a year, because you know hypertension is a very common disease that we see, and most people don't feel it. So if no. we, if you don't get seen and don't get your blood pressure checked, you won't catch those things. Um, so, you know, we, we really, I think as a, as a larger medical community, when, when everything hit this spring, one of the concerns we had about unintended consequences would be falling behind on those routine visits. And so we're, we're glad to be able to be open back up and not being missing people, um, that way. So, you know, if you're behind, call the clinic, you can still get your physical done this year and, and get in with your physician or healthcare provider. Why don't you talk a little bit about the consequences of that um, silent hypertension, high blood pressure that people aren't catching. And, you know, we're we're encouraging you to come in. What happens if they don't come in and that goes unchecked? Yeah. So, like I said, hypertension is very common. Most people know someone with high blood pressure. Um, So, you know, a lot of people with high blood pressure may not have any problems, but it is a risk factor for many things down the road. So it's a risk factor that we can control, which is why we want to catch it. So the things that um, uncontrolled high blood pressure would increase a person's risk for over, you know, years, decades, lifetime would be things like heart attacks, strokes, heart failure, kidney disease. So a lot of things that, that affect the blood vessels untreated high blood pressure just as hard on the blood vessels and so um, those types of things can be downstream consequences of not finding and treating that blood pressure over like I said decades typically. Let's Mm. take our first break um, and give everyone a chance to think about those questions perhaps you have high blood pressure or you might have a question um, about that. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and our podcast Call us now at 692-1430 with any medical concerns that you'd like to address. We will return after this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. 
Being alone or with very limited social interactions during the pandemic can be difficult. With some effort on your part, there are some ways to decrease the effects of isolation. Keep a schedule. Stay active. Do something meaningful like working on your genealogy or organizing photo albums. Connect with others by letter, email, phone, Zoom, or try online games. Find comfort in old movies or lighting a candle and having a cup of tea. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking. You can do this. If you find your loneliness getting out of hand with feelings of depression, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joni Holm, and I'm with Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans, and we're here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 692-1430. Uh, before we left on break, we were talking about hypertension. What are some of those other areas that we're thinking about the management of diseases and, and we encourage people to come in to, to have checked? Yeah. Yeah. So things that we talk about that can sort of just increase risk of bad things downstream are blood pressure, a big one, diabetes, obviously very common. So most of my patients over a certain age, or especially if there's family history or risk factors such as obesity, we'll check a blood sugar or a lab um, on an annual visit. Um, cholesterol is another one that we um, may check and consider treatment or at least, you know, lifestyle modifications for high cholesterol. So, and if, you know, if a patient has all of those things together, then, then that sort of increases risk further for all those things that we're worried about. Um, uh, certainly a, another huge risk factor that I am always talking to patients about is smoking and tobacco use. Um, that I, I always feel like as a primary care physician, if I can help a patient stop smoking at some point in time, that might be about the best thing that I can do as a primary care physician to decrease risk, not only of these cardiac and vascular things like we are talking about with blood pressure, because smoking certainly increases the risk of all those things, but also certain cancers, et cetera. So. Do you have any feel for um, smoking right now during the virus? We, we know that people are isolated. We know mm-hmm. there's increased stress. Are we? Is there an increase in smoking or, you know, possibly people taking this change of lifestyle as a yeah, time to quit? I don't think we necessarily know the answer to that statistically. I think, yeah, you could envision it going both ways. It's a stressful time. I mean, everybody's under stress for various individual reasons and just the the societal stress of everything it wouldn't surprise me if if people had a hard time or may have relapsed with smoking um that being said i think there's some people out there who have really tried to take take this as an opportunity to try and improve um their health and health habits and um you know maybe maybe changes at work make things less stressful and and it's a good opportunity to think about smoking cessation um, but, you know, I, I take every visit with a patient who happens to be a smoker as an opportunity for smoking cessation if that patient's ready. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And, and we should mention that there is help in the state. Yes. Uh, so if it is something that you're considering, talk with your primary care provider. Not only are there medications that you can get through the provider, uh, but there's also some counseling through the state. Mm-hmm. So... Folks, it would be a good time if yeah. you want to take that Anytime's a good time. If you're Absolutely. feeling ready, go go for it. And the concept of um, I've quit smoking many times, that's okay too because each time brings you closer and maybe this time right. will work for you. So 
let's not have people feel bad about that, but take it as an opportunity to, to try Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Quitting smoking is hard. It's legitimately challenging for the vast majority of patients who try. And so that's exactly what I tell my patients. You know, if you, if you quit for a few months and then you got back smoking, let's not be discouraged. Let's just, when you're ready, let's try again because... Um, you, you know, that's, that's all you can do in some of these circumstances. And, and hopefully you learn something from each time that you might have quit and, and not been able to stick with it before. That's right. And it is interesting also to think about COVID-19 and the more data we have, we talk about the blood vessel aspect of it. And when we first learned about it, it seemed to be mostly lung, but now we're realizing that there's a lot of you know, downstream consequences in a sense. And so that smoking probably increases the risk for a patient that might have COVID. Yeah, I think for various reasons, smoking could theoretically give people an increased risk of critical illness with this disease if that's motivating for people. And that's true of a lot of things. I mean, smokers are going to do worse with influenza, worse with pneumonia, and have higher risk for hospitalization with those diseases. Um, so, you know, every I think most people out there know that there's good reasons to quit smoking. The long and short of it is it's it's not easy. And so a patient has to be internally motivated to do it. But when you're there, when you're getting close to that, your doctor wants to help you. There are people out there that want to help you. You mentioned the South Dakota quit line, which mm-hmm. you can find on website or with an 800 number, um, provide some free services to help with accountability and, and can provide even nicotine replacement therapy and things like that if, if you're interested. Well, that, that would be... Uh a nice place uh, for people to start and and maybe this pandemic time is an opportunity so think about that uh, listeners Um, diabetes you mentioned uh, we know that that's an ongoing problem and you know the hypertension kind of rolls in with that sometimes as well Uh, what lifestyle changes you mentioned that I mean we yes we can go into the clinic but what can people be doing at home yeah so again diabetes very common the things that increase risk of type two type type one diabetes is kind of a different animal. Not much can be done about that. There's there's sort of factors out of people's control with that. Type two diabetes is linked to several things, including obesity, diet, um, and and just the overall insulin resistance, which usually is sort of can be accrued by a lifetime of some bad habits. There are genetic factors that go into this. So there are people that have a healthy body weight and a pretty healthy lifestyle that still develop type 2 diabetes. So it's not one of those things that we should always be, you know, laying blame on the patient who comes down with these things. But in a lot of cases, people can do something to minimize your risk of future diabetes. Um, And that, you know, keeping your weight controlled, even if it's even if it's not, you know, in that BMI of under 25, the the even a small amount of weight loss can improve glucose control in people with prediabetes. And exercise alone improves insulin resistance regardless of your weight. So staying active and then obviously the staying away from the really high sugar, high simple carbohydrate foods as best you can is is good practice for all of us. That's a hard one. It is. <laughs> all of these things are yeah, hard yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not very immediately rewarding. That's so. true. <laughs> um, I do think that, that when we think about the exercise aspect that... Uh, you know, one of our guests on Prairie Doc uh, has talked about how hard your heart works and, and how constant, obviously, it works. And so if we don't take care of it, you know, yes, there's a chance something can go wrong with our heart. And so and all of these things with the blood vessels, I mean, your heart is filled with blood vessels and it 
they all tie together. And so the exercise, the diet, all very important in, mm-hmm. in your whole body. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, if it's uh, starting slowly and uh, short walks around the block and increasing that by, a, you know, a block at a time is going to improve your health. So we do want people to consider yeah upping their exercise absolutely if they can. everybody can start somewhere that's i totally agree well we are due for a second break and we in thank you for listening to prairie doc radio on kbrk and also we have a podcast uh on the, during this break why don't you give us a call at 605-692-1430 with any medical cer- concerns that you have Our programs are available on Apple Podcasts. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We'll return following this message from the Avera Medical Group. The grass is growing, and that means it's time to mow. Please remember these safety measures to protect your health. Wear goggles, hearing protection, gloves, and long pants. Always wear sturdy closed-toed shoes while mowing the lawn. Do not drink alcohol or use other substances before or while using your lawnmower. Do not remove safety devices or guards on the mower and never insert hands or feet into the mower to remove grass or debris. Parents, teach these safety measures to your children. This safety tip is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Joni Holm, and I have Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans here to discuss your medical needs. Uh, feel free to call us at 605-692-1430. Uh, so we're talking about health care in general today, and we've, we've touched on hypertension and diabetes and the importance of exercise, uh, a little bit about diet. Mm-hmm. And uh, smoking, we've, we've touched on. What about alcohol intake? Yeah. How does that affect folks? Yeah, so, you know, alcohol certainly can have a variety of effects. And a little bit of this is mysterious to us. You know, we know that there are some people, you know, you might have one person who has the same amount of lifetime alcohol intake that might develop liver disease, for example, and someone else who never develops liver disease. So there are some some intangibles and probably genetic factors um, that, that we don't fully understand. But overall, excessive alcohol use is absolutely risky. And so the things that I see that go along with excessive alcohol use are a handful. I mean, one often it goes hand in hand with mental health problems. So people may use alcohol as um, self-treatment for anxiety disorders, depression, um, or even more severe mental health disorders. And sometimes that really makes it hard, you know, to it's hard for us to make right diagnoses when people come in in those settings because um, the alcohol use itself can sort of cause some psychiatric issues, insomnia and stuff like that, that make, make things hard for us. Um, certainly excessive alcohol use can lead to liver disease and cirrhosis of the liver. And that's a terrible outcome. I mean, that's a really, really horrible disease to have alcohol induced liver disease and, and really almost a worst case scenario, in my opinion. Um, 
excessive alcohol use elevates blood pressure typically. So if I have someone who's kind of got some borderline blood pressures, I'll talk to them about smoking, which might increase the blood pressure. I'll talk to them about alcohol use because, you know, if you've got mild hypertension and your doctor is thinking about putting you on a medicine and you're someone who drinks a few beers a night, stopping that or or modifying that may actually decrease your blood pressure. So there are certainly some some milder things that can occur with, with alcohol use. You know, mm. the, the million-dollar question that I don't think any of us have an answer for, but, but of course, I'll ask anyway, <laughs> is what, you know, volume of alcohol. Yeah. I know that's got to be really hard, and it varies person to person, but if you had to, you know, give a, a ballpark, is there a right or a wrong way for people to think about it? Yeah, I mean, because certainly there are there are people who drink alcohol in a social way, in a healthy way, and we've gone and gone back and forth of is the glass of wine a night actually protective? And I mean, what I would say about that is that be, anytime there's this data out there that kind of goes one way and then the next year you hear something that's the opposite or, or whatever it probably means that neither is exactly right and and it's probably a little bit null. So I agree. I think there's a, there's a lot of people out there who drink alcohol in an, in a non-destructive and and healthy way and it's but it's a line. It is different for different people. There like I said there are some people who might have a few beers every night their whole lives and not have a problem for it, but you don't know if that's you or not. Um if if you feel like you need the alcohol, it's probably time to think about, am, am I doing this wrong? And do I need to try to get some help or cut back? You know, if you feel like um, you can't go without it for a day, that's probably a warning sign. Um, binge drinking, I think, is definitely, you know, it's something that a lot of young people do. And it's it's very common, but it's unhealthy for sure. And it, it, it what I tell my young people um is binge drinking, you know, it's unhealthy for your body, but it also really increases your risk of making decisions that you're going to regret. And so that's that's a piece of advice that across the board, I think um, uh, over a certain amount, depending on your, your body and habitus, is probably the wrong thing to do in most cases. I think that one, particularly since I work with pediatrics yeah. more, that you know, that binge drinking is just it can be so devastating. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you're saying, the consequences that you it may not realize you're beyond the point you should be and choose to drive or right you know just problems occur and mm -hmm. so if people can can cut back i always talk about uh having a glass of water or a coke between mm -hmm. drinks if people are choosing to go out that just helps to slow them down so anything that you can do to just uh, limit that intake and and like you said, if you feel like there's a problem, then we need to, to step in. Uh, yeah. And there's things and that we can do. You know, I, we actually have some some promising medical therapies that help reduce problem drinking, even if people don't abstain completely. So and certainly, you know, there there's still things out there like. Um, inpatient and outpatient treatments that are intensive. Um, there, AA works well for some people. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's for every single person who who has um, an addictive disorder, but um, certainly there there are things out there that that we can help direct people to to try. It certainly AA has helped many people. Yes. So it's it's certainly something in the toolbox mm -hmm. to think about. Uh, let's change subjects yeah. here and talk about sleep and Great. how sleep 
can affect that that overall health picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sleep is a little bit of a wild card, right? And it's another thing that I think is just so heterogeneous. There are some people out there that thrive on five hours of sleep a night. There are some people that just don't feel well without the eight hours of sleep a night as adults. For kids, it's definitely more and probably more important as we're thinking about kids going back to school and, and well, whatever that looks like this fall. Um, sleep's really important for kids. I think the the big rules of sleep to me are um, regularity. So trying to keep a regular bedtime and a regular wake time for most days is really helpful for most anyone that struggles with sleep. That's that's I think the first rule to adhere to. If you're if you're going to bed at 9 p.m. some nights and staying up till 1 a.m. some nights, your prob- your brain's just not learning the habits that are going to help it sleep well. Mm-hmm. Of course, we think about our um, healthcare workers, our factory workers yes. who are on shifts, and boy, that is a tough one. It is. It is. It's it's not an easy thing to do. I've had to do it, and you know, most people who work in healthcare at some point in time have had to kind of switch or or stay up all night here and there, and it is challenging. And our human brains are really not meant to do that so um you know it's it's kind of an overriding of doing that i think there are some people who figure out how to do the changing shifts or work nights and and do it well and stay Um, on one shift stay on the night yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 some people struggle with it more Mm -hmm. i yeah i was lucky in my early career that i only worked days or nights yeah and the nights were really hard at least i didn't have that third three to eleven shift uh, but I so prefer the days. Right, right. <laughs> and some people handle the nights. Our, our son Carter kind of prefers nights. Yeah, there are people out there that prefer it, and it's okay for lifestyle. But, yeah, it's and I always really liked the work of nights, you know, mm-hmm. in the hospital. You, you know, you're kind of dealing with acutely sick people, and, and it's just kind of a different work than what you're doing during the day. Um, and that is interrupted. Right. It's, it's less interrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, was, I wasn't cut out to be working nights constantly either. No, no. <laughs> and I think any of us who are parents have had their nighttime awakenings from children, so you get a feel for right. what that's like mm-hmm. and can be tough. <laughs> um, now, anything in the COVID world that we should mention today? Yeah, I guess I would I would say I think a lot of talk now is about in regards to school and and how we're going to try and safely reopen schools and and that kind of thing this fall. And gosh, I just don't envy any of the people having to make these decisions. There's there's not a single right answer. Um, I think I I think what the Brooking School District has laid out, I think it's it's a very reasonable plan and and mm-hmm. gives the this target for moving depending on how big our community spread is. The thing that I would say about that is that everything that we can do to decrease the rate of infection in our community between now and the school year gives our kids a better chance of being able to stay in the classroom this year. So, um, you know, if I know there are a lot of parents worried there about having to do some remote learning. I think if we want to improve our chances of getting kids back in the classroom full time, whether it's this year or next year, we got to do our part to decrease spread. And so that, that, you know, we can't let up on social distancing. I think masking has gained more and more, um, relevant data that if we have a majority of people masking in the community that we may decrease our spread so if we want to be able to open these things we everyone's got to do their part 
I so agree, and it's very hard that, I mean, I know folks that, you know, we have our mask on right now, and it's mm -hmm. not perfectly comfortable, but as you've seen on social media, it's a lot less comfortable if you're in the hospital with a ventilator, so do your part now, please, please, mm -hmm. please, and the hand hygiene as well. Yep. We have to be very careful. When you come back in from the grocery store or wherever you may be, hit that sink right away uh, as your first step. We're going to take our last break, and uh, we want to thank you again for listening to Prairie Doc Radio, and we'll return after this message from the Avera Medical Group. Be aware, with warmer weather, you may find ticks. Ticks live in grassy, bushy, or wooded areas. Spending time outside walking your dog, camping, gardening, or hunting can bring you in close contact with ticks. To prevent ticks from attaching, treat your clothes and gear with products containing 0.5% permethrin. Permethrin can be used to treat boots, clothing, and camping gear and remains protective through several washings. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. To Prairie Doc Radio, this is Joni Holm and Prairie Doc Physician Kelly Evans here to discuss your medical questions. Uh, we just have a few minutes left. Uh, we... we talked over some lifestyle changes and just health care in general. We've touched on COVID. Uh, we do want to encourage everybody to wear their mask, wash their hands, and keep that social distancing. You know, outdoor uh, visiting is a lot safer because we've got so much more air exchange. So that's another recommendation. Um, what about children in masks? You know, I know below two, we're mm -hmm. saying not to mask. Mm -hmm. But as we go back to school, uh, should our children have masks? I think across the medical community, you'll hear a resounding yes, but about that. I mean, I think we, you know, I'm a parent. I have two four-year-old kids, and they've worn masks here and there. We mostly just don't take them anywhere that they need to wear masks, which is lucky for us right now. But I think I think our kids can learn to do it. Okay, we do we expect a kindergarten classroom to have perfect mask use? Of course not. But if if we can have a high percentage of time that kids are not spreading germs, that probably just decreases risk of having an outbreak in that that school and classroom. We know it's not going to be perfect. Um, but we, we're, all, we're talking about risk reduction and numbers reduction. And, and so a mask is one of the tools I think we can use to try and safely, keep, again, we want to be able to keep kids in school as much as we can. And if we have a big outbreak in our community, we're, those kids are going to be sent home again. And, and that's not what anybody wants. So we got, I think we just got to do our best. I sure hope that uh, we will not see that big outbreak at SDSU. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we think about the l dorms and first-year students and, well, any-year student, but particularly you're excited to be at college for the first time, oh, it's, it's a very stressful it's, time for it them. It is. It's going to look really different, I think. Mm -hmm. We do, as you mentioned earlier, really appreciate all the work our administrators have done in, in working toward getting the schools open. It is in just about an impossible question, but they're taking it step by step. And mm -hmm. I personally want to say thank you to the teachers who are preparing to go back. And we know that it is putting you at risk and certainly encourage you to do all the, the uh, methods we've mentioned. But mm -hmm. it's also a, a big thank you and a big... Right. You know, yeah, again, I think as, as you think about your day to day actions, 
think about those people. Think about the teachers in our schools and, and the less cases that we can have in our communities, the less spread, the safer all of those people will be. If you don't have a thermometer, parents, this is the time to start hunting because they're probably not easy to come by. Mm -hmm. But we do want you to check temperatures before children uh, leave for school in the morning. And boy, I know parents are trying to work, but to stop the virus, we have to take precautions. So keep your child home if they are running a low-grade fever. It certainly may not be COVID, but you have to give it some time to see and see what the body does. Yep. And uh, we hope that we'll have tests available. Yep. Uh, right now, if people uh, have concerns, they, do we still have the drive up? Yeah, so that what we would direct if you experience symptoms or you're worried about an exposure to just call the clinic and we have a triage system to either direct if appropriate to drive up testing or if you need to be evaluated in person, we have a safe way to do that. So the first step is always to call the clinic. Great. We do want, uh, to, for the safety of our primary care folks and the people at the front desk, we do need to have some heads up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's very important that you call ahead. Um, and certainly mask anytime that you're going to come into the clinic. Correct. So that you will be preventing uh, the spread of anything. Well, we are out of time. Before we go, we want to say tune into South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with Prairie Doc starting on Thursdays, most Thursdays at 7 o'clock. This Thursday on the 23rd, we have an encore episode of Ask Anything with Dr. Andrew Ellsworth. So we stay tuned to that on the public TV. Follow us on Prairie Doc and Facebook and YouTube. And look for Prairie Doc whenever, wherever you find podcasts. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Rick would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>